One of my favorite times of the year. I know even though, um, well, actually the weather hasn't been that, that bad over the last few days, but uh, generally this is, even if it's cold and dreary, I, I love this time of year. I'm just an optimist by nature. I, I love to look into the future. I get energized by it and see all kinds of possibility and, and the glass is half full and, and all of that. And I love making New Year's resolutions and all of that. And I, you know, most of us, we will make... New Year's resolutions, mostly for ourselves, our own self-improvement, you know, getting up on that treadmill and, you know, beginning that diet and all of those different things. And some people also reflect on their relationships, how they want to improve their, their different relationships. And I find that really fascinating, especially in today's world, because the way people view relationships is so different. I was watching a movie just the other day, and I actually, I'm not even going to tell you what movie it is because it was so foul that I turned it off. It wasn't even in good. But it started with this scene where a young woman and a young man, the young woman was going through her breakup line with, with the young man. And he started to get really distraught. He said, wait, are you breaking up with me? And then she goes on with her little breakup line. And then his voice comes in as a sort of narrator's voice. And he gives an explanation as to why he was so distraught. And the reason was because he didn't even know they were dating. <laughs> and that's why he was, he was distraught. People view relationships and particularly how they commit to relationships is kind of a whole new thing because it used to be in generations past that committing to a person, specifically in a marital commitment, a marriage relationship, that was just sort of assumed, right? That was just part of the expectations of the culture and so there was maybe sometimes some pressure but that was just something that people did. That was what the assumption and the expectation was but nowadays, it's really more about your own personal choice, about how you're going to commit, for how long, and what are the terms of your commitment that you're making with an, another person. And so it, if it's left up to us, it makes sense that people would actually commit less. And we see that popping up in the way people view different relationships. And it makes sense to me, if left to choice, people are probably not going to commit as much because commitment is hard. And commitment is scary. Opening your life up like opening your heart up and committing yourself to one person for the rest of your life, that's, that's a, a scary, scary thing. I remember in college, we'd, I was working with my friends and we would talk about our different relationships and we'd help each other by using a, 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 an acronym, DT, uh, yeah, DTR. Hey, do you DTR? Did you define the relationship? You know, because guys, we really struggle with, you know, sharing our feelings and our fears and our insecurities and all that. So we just, do, hey, did you define the relationship? Are you on the same page with this person that you are dating? Because committing can be a really hard thing. I shared this with you before, but my wife and I, when we were dating and we were in a long distance relationship and it came time for us to really decide if we we're going to be serious about one another, uh, on the eve of that decision, we broke up. <laughs> for 24 hours because we were all, we were both afraid. We had been hurt in the past. We didn't want to jump into that. We were scared. Commitment is a really, really difficult thing. Have you defined the, the relationship? Now, some of you, maybe, maybe you're a seeking person. Maybe you haven't been in church a long time. Maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, but, but, but maybe you have heard Christians talk about having a personal relationship 
with God. And it's interesting, it's not really in, in the Bible, but it's taken, that phrase is taken a, an, an idea that is presented to us in the scriptures. And so as we consider 2020, as we look into the new year, as we um, look at our, yes, our relationships and how we want to get on that treadmill and that diet we want to begin and all of that, I want to ask you maybe a little bit more of an important question. The question is this. How would you define your relationship with God heading into the year 2020? I'm going to flesh out this question a little bit to help us give us give us some perspective and we're going to do that in the book of Jeremiah so if you have a Bible with you I invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 book of Jeremiah chapter 31 starting with verse verse 31 and uh, if you didn't bring a Bible there should be one right there in front of you if you don't have a Bible at all take that Bible home with you we'd love for you to have it Jeremiah chapter 31 starting in verse 31 talks about relationship And in the Old Testament particularly, and what we'll find also in the New Testament, the Old Testament, talking about relationship in terms of one word called covenant. And that's what we're going to read about here in Jeremiah 31. It says this in verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now, as we understand what this scripture is talking about, it's important to start from the very beginning that the gospel story and the story of God and his people that we read about in this book is not for Christians. The Christian story, the gospel story, is not for Christians. It's for everyone. It is for all humanity, and it starts out that way. The first man, the first woman, and it just expands out from there. And the witness that comes from these stories, from this book, is for all humanity. And it concerns how God is in relationship with all people, with all humanity. And so it begins with this cosmic scope and perspective that it doesn't begin with me and what's in my heart. It begins with us. Us as humanity, as a created people, and even as part of creation. How does God the divine relate to us? It's us before me. And so God in, or in Jeremiah the prophet, God speaking through it says, I will declare a new covenant. And to understand what new covenant would be, may help, be helpful to look at what the old covenants looked like. Because what we have is a narrowing or a, 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 a way in which God gets more particular as he goes along in a series of covenants or relationships with people. There are four covenants that we find uh, in uh, the Old Testament leading up to this particular verse. We have uh, uh, the covenant of Noah, And if you remember the story of Noah, it's a story where God was fed up. He actually regretted. There was so much corruption and evil and harm upon the earth that God had regretted that he had made human beings. And he was just going to do a redo. I mean, he's just going to start over and cleanse the whole earth and start fresh with the guy named Noah and his family. And out of that comes a covenant. But what's really interesting about this covenant is that it really isn't a covenant with Noah at all. It's actually a covenant that God makes with himself. He's saying, I, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do this kind of thing anymore. I'm not going to do it this way anymore. 
So then out of Noah, we see that God calls a particular man named Abraham or Abram out of the land of Ur. And he says, hey, go to this place and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my dude. And out of you, I'm going to make a whole nation of you and your descendants in your family. God upholds that covenant with, with Abraham. And then over time, you know, the descendants, they make their way to Egypt. They're enslaved in Egypt. And then God rescues the Hebrew people out of Egypt and establishes a new covenant with Israel and says, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And by the way, here's what this looks like. I've got two tablets and on them are 10 commandments. And there's going to be eventually 613 of these different laws that they'll call the Torah. And that's going to be the way in which you are to live out my ways, how you're to live out this covenant and relationship with me. And time goes on again, and we have a king named David. He's a godly and favorite king. Not perfect, but he's a godly king. And David makes a covenant with David and says, out of your royal lineage, I'm going to complete everything I'm doing here on this earth. He makes that promise with David. So we have four of these God-initiated covenants that we find leading up to this point in Jeremiah. And here's what happens. They never work out. All of them, they fall short because the nature of these covenants is more of a contractual relationship. Even though it's highly relational, God will say that he is their husband Highly relational, but the way that they viewed relationships in that day, what we find is that this word covenant is also used for how two kingdoms come in alliance with one another. Of how a stronger and more authoritative person or body or king would enter into covenant with a, a a group of dependent people and the dependent people would serve the authority and the authority would offer protection. And this was the idea of covenant that this were and this concept comes out of. And it's humanity that can't live up to the agreement, the contraction, the contract, the contraction, the contract that they established. It says here in Jeremiah 31, yeah, that's going to be in your mind for a while, won't it? Okay. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 32. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the, the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Time and time again, people decided to worship other gods. Time and time again, people decided to make a kingdom unto themselves and follow their own agendas. Time and time again, people violated the covenant that they had entered into with God. And so Jeremiah, the prophet, is speaking to a group of people, a remnant of Israel, who are feeling the direct effects of the unfaithfulness of the people that had gone before them. There were prophets that began to warn them, if you don't turn back to the Lord, if you don't turn your hearts back to God, there's going to be some consequences, specifically in the form of military superpowers of that day, Assyria, and then after them, Babylon. 
And lo and behold, Assyria came. Babylon came. Babylon came and took a remnant of Israel and carried with them the peop- a huge remnant of Israel into exile. And here are God's people living in a foreign place, living in a foreign unknown land, far away from home, wondering, how are we going to be a people again? How are we going to be God's people like we had remembered we once were? What does that look like? See, they believed that Jerusalem was the place, was the city that God gave them. They believed that Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, that there was the temple, and that was the place where God lived. That was the place where God dwelt and resided. And so now that they were far away, that they were distanced from that place, they felt far away from God. Far away from God. But here's the thing that I've kind of realized in my time as a pastor and, and counseling people in their marriage relationships and specifically counseled people where there's been infidelity, where there's been unfaithfulness in, in the relationship, is that when you begin kind of sorting through um, not the excuses but the reasons that, that led to a, a, an act of, of infidelity in a relationship, what you find is that there was all kinds of distance and brokenness and dysfunction in a relationship far before any act of infidelity had taken place. And that act of infidelity was simply just a, a, a living out or a reaction to the existing distance and dysfunction and brokenness that was, that was there. What the people failed to realize as they were living in exile is that yes, as tragic and as devastating as it was that they were attacked and carried off into faraway land, it was simply just an example of what it looks like when that, when that relationship and that covenant with God is fractured. They might have remembered the words of Isaiah the prophet who said this in chapter 29, verse 13. He said, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Hearts are far from me. This fractured relationship was the result of four really attempts attempts or, or building attempts to be in covenant, God to be in covenant with his people. And yet, in this most devastating hour, in the most difficult place, living in exile, prophets begin to speak that, of something new that, that God is up to, something new that God is going to do. A new covenant, a new relationship that he's going to make with, with his people, and it's gonna be different than the other ones. It goes on explaining in verse 33 and 34. Um, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. After all of those attempts, God now was doing something new. And if there was distance in the old relationship, in the old covenant, if there was distance that was created because people failed and failed and failed again, this time there would not be distance. And you can see the closeness that, that Jeremiah is describing here in this new covenant, this new relationship. Not writing it on stone tablets. I'm going to write it on your hearts. I'm going to place it deep within you. And you're going to know me. And this word know, it's so packed with layers and meaning. It's, our English word doesn't really capture it all. But it's this deep experiential knowledge. It's like knowing your best friend. You don't know information about them or know of them. You know them through and through. You'll know the Lord through and through. Because the law is written on your hearts. And all of this will may be made possible because of the forgiveness that God will give on the sins of the people. And Jesus fulfills this covenant. Now what's interesting and important to, to, to point out is that Jesus, these covenants um, are, are building off of one another. Each, each one builds off of, off of the other. And so when Jesus fulfills the, the, the new covenant, he also fulfills the other ones as well. He comes from, he is a descendant of Abraham he is of Israel, he's a Jew, and he comes from the lineage of David. And yet the people, when Jesus arrived, the people were so far and distance from God in their hearts, they didn't even recognize the Messiah when he was right in front of them. And those of the religious authorities in power, they were threatened by him because they thought he was there to abolish the law. And here's what he says in response to that. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that's what we see in Jesus. And we see a whole dynamic shift and change in Jesus and the way we think about how we relate and how we are in relationship to God. You know, the people were offended that Jesus called Father God Abba, which in the Aramaic means daddy. It was a personal, it was an intimate term. And Jesus is now carrying on saying that, that God the Father, the Almighty, the creator of the universe is his daddy. <laughs> And they thought he was being irreverent. But what Jesus is doing is he's reshaping the way we are to understand this covenant, this relationship with God, that suddenly now God is getting personal when it comes to Jesus. And through him, we also have that same access. We also can call God Abba, Father. And we also can call ourselves children of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul confirms this in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. He's talking about the old covenants. Rather, the spirit you received through a, uh, received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That is something to stand on for 2020, isn't it? 
We are God's children. My wife and I, a couple uh, years ago, took foster to adopt training classes. Courses are still on our hearts to maybe adopt someday. We ended up moving here in the timing. Uh, the Lord hasn't really opened that up for us uh, yet, but it's still something that we have on our hearts. But we learned so much through this training classes, and many of you probably know about this. When you start to learn and understand the life of a foster child, it's amazing how these children, these precious and innocent children, sometimes are, are carted off from one home to the next, to the next and they're in this pseudo-parental relationship with these strangers that they don't know. And, and maybe, just maybe, on the, on the hope, and, and sometimes in their own minds, false hope that someone would ever say, hey, I'm going to take you and you're going to be my child. It's so devastating to think of what these kids go through in this particular uh, circumstance of life. And some, even worse than that, experience abuse in these fostering situations? And how powerful is it then that someday someone might look at any of those children and say, you are going to be my daughter. You are going to be my son. And yet they're still getting to know each other. They, maybe they haven't even met before. And yet that parent on the front end is taking that initiative step to say, no, you are going to be my child. You are going to be my son. And we're going to figure it out as we go along. But I'm declaring this right now. I'm signing the papers. You are going to be mine. How powerful is that? We are now children of God in Christ Jesus, where God, as opposed to waiting for our holding up the end of the agreement, God takes the initiative step and says, no, you are mine. And we're gonna figure it out together. We're gonna seek to live this out together. But I'm declaring it right now, because my, I love you and I created you, you are my children. You know, a father-child relationship, it doesn't require a contract. But it does thrive on a lot of things. Love, embrace, acceptance, guidance, discipline, all of those things. So I just want to return to that question I asked you earlier and hope you've kept that in the back of your mind. I'm going to ask it a little bit differently, though. I want to ask, how would you define your relationship with your father as you head into the year 2020? What does that look like? And think about your life in a timeline. Because we are living in the new covenant era. That's why it's important for us. We are living in that age, the new covenant age, the New Testament age. By the way, testament comes from testamentum in the Latin, which means covenant. We are living in the new covenant age. And we look at our lives in 2019. Some of us might look at the circumstances around us, how things came together, how things fell apart for us. We might look inwardly and 
some of the regrets we might have, some of the successes we might have. We might look at our relationships and, and, and how uh, we've really built on some of our relationships. Maybe some of our relationships have, have really dismantled over the year in 2019. But now we're on the cusp of 2020. Now we're looking on to this, to this next year. What does your, how would you define your relationship with your father as you head in this new year? And out of that, um, two sort of additional questions that I want to maybe have you think through it and re- reflect on. If God had a chance to DTR, the, define the relationship, if God had a chance to speak into your heart about where you and him are in relationship, what would he say? What words would God extend to you? Words of love, affirmation, what would he say? Would he ask for a little bit more quality time? Would he offer you some encouragement, some uplifting? Would he embrace you? Would he offer you some some guidance, some discipline, some tough love? What would God's voice be as you enter into this year? And then off of that, if you were to hear God speak into your heart and your life for this year, what would you do about that? How would you respond to that? Because it's really easy, and I've done it time and time again, to to come into the space and to receive the affirming word of of, of love and and embrace and acceptance that, that God has for us. And so many times I've heard that, I've received it, I've been humbled by that message and have gone straight out the doors and out the church and not made any response, not made any plan for how I'm going to uh, respond to this gesture of love, this initiative of love from God and, and make a plan of how it's going to make my life different, how I'm gonna live differently. What would your plan be in your relationship with God as you head into this into this new year. As much as you'd make New Year's resolutions about your own personal well-being, your diet, your exercise, your relationship, all of that, all of that's important, but I'm wondering if these questions would be a little bit more important as you head into this year. What does your relationship look like? What would God say? And, And then what would your plan be? How would you live that out? I came across an article uh, in The Plain Dealer about a month ago, powerful story, real story, uh, about a a guy named Kevin Butler. Uh, Kevin Butler is the law director of um, Lakewood, uh, Lakewood City, and uh, he's a little bit older than I am, and he became aware of a law in the state of Ohio, I think it uh, came about in 2015, that allowed people, uh, allowed uh, adoption uh, documents to be released and to be, to be viewed. And so he knew that this was uh, applied to him, and so he uh, sent an application into the state to, to receive the information about who his biological parents would be. He, he was raised, uh, he was adopted and, and raised um, by a family. He's always known that he was adopted. And so he gets the envelope back from the state and he's nervous as he opens up who his biological parents would be. He pulls out the paper and he 
reads the names of his biological mother, his biological father, and something really hits him like a brick wall. He looks at the name of his biological father and he says, wait, I know this guy. (laughs) Turns out, of all things, his father, his biological father, is also a law director uh, of the city of Euclid. And I think still to this day, and uh, his biological mother's from Willoughby, actually on this side of town. And, and the article's great. It goes through how, you know, he's nervous about revealing all of this. And he, he had had meetings with his biological father in the past. He, they had had meetings together. And he didn't even know. And it's just a feel-good story. It's, it's really great. But it's, it really signals one really powerful thing. This gentleman, Kevin Butler, He wasn't fatherless, even though he didn't know his biological father. We know this, right? Being a parent is so much more than what the paper would say to us. Being a parent is so much more than simply recognizing that that there is a biological, that we come from an actual other person. Parenthood is so much deeper and richer than that. You know, there's so many of us Maybe most of people that wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning, so many people that we interact with on, a, on a, maybe a regular basis, people outside the walls of this building, people that would believe in God, that would recognize this, that, that they come from God, that they were a created being by God, and they recognize that like it's a, like it's a birth certificate, like it's a piece of information. And then they go on and, and live their life. And maybe that's, maybe that's you, too. And out of that, I hear God saying, I want to make a new covenant with you. I want a deeper, flourishing, personal, intimate, vibrant relationship with you so that we can live in covenant together where I will be your God and you will be my child and you can call me Abba Father, I, I believe that that's God's desire for, for each of us, for each of us. So if, if you find yourself just being a, a seeking person um, and you don't know if you could call yourself a, a Christian or maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've always been a Christian or whatever, I wonder if this could be a time as we look out into t- the year 2020 and we reflect on where we stand in our relationship with God and how we can grow further in our relationship with God, I wonder if in this moment we all could take the chance and have the courage to make a commitment. Commitments are difficult. They're scary. They put ourselves, they, we put ourselves out there. But I'm wondering today if you'd be able to make a commitment. Some of you for the first time and maybe some of you, many, most of you, a renewed commitment to God in surrender. One of my favorite uh, ways to do this is from one of my heroes of the faith, John Wesley, uh, the early Methodist in England in the late um, 18th century. They would have, uh, every New Year's, they'd have a vigil and they would have a, a, what they called a covenant service. And each year, uh, they, they have a late service and worship and prayer, and then they'd all pray a prayer, and they recommit themselves 
to God for that new year. And that, that prayer uh, is called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. And um, if you uh, would allow yourself to do this, uh, to pray this prayer uh, alongside of me. Again, maybe some of you for the first time, but most of you um, in, a, in a renewed sense. But in this moment, making this your way of surrendering your whole self into the loving arms of God to say, you know what, 2020 is going to be different in my relationship with God. So let's, let's pray this together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it in the covenant now made on earth. Let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. If you prayed this as a way of inviting Christ into your heart and life for the very first time, or if you feel like this prayer had a little bit of extra juice to it for you in your life right now, it really hit home to you, I just want to have a, just a moment, a couple of minutes, where the music is playing and as a symbol of that surrender, as a symbol of that commitment. Would you come forward and, and, and kneel at the altar? We'll be here to pray over you. You want to come forward and make this commitment, renewed commitment or commitment for the first time. Come on forward. Surrender yourself before God. It's a place of safety, a place of love. Just come forward, surrender yourself. And for those of the rest of you that are still at your seat, would you uh, just, just even though if you don't know the people, the folks walking forward, if you just extend your prayers to them right now as they come forward.
gonna let our friends uh, linger at the altar here as they, as they feel led. And so after I dismiss with a blessing, I just ask that you would um, maybe leave, leave quietly. But for all of us, as we go out, my, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would leave knowing uh, that in your relationship, God has already taken the first step of his love and that if you would respond in love back to him, it's because he first loved us, as the scriptures say. And so go simply knowing that you were deeply, deeply loved and that to be in communion with him, to be in relationship with him, it really is just allowing God to take root in you, in your heart, in your life. Um, and if you would like to talk to Pastor Steve and I more about what that looks like, we would be more than happy to sit down with you and hear your story and, and pray with you. Um, but as you go, go knowing that God's strength in you is the fullness of his love and that his deep desires for you to respond back to him in love so that we can all be in relationship with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life with him. That is our hope. Keep that hope in your hearts as we go. In Jesus' name.